This is Shop Talk Radio, episode 44 with Dale Partridge. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onken, and on this show, we're bringing you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneurial lifestyle to bridge the gap between art, commerce, and inspiration. What is up, Shop Talk Creatives? Welcome to today's episode of Shop Talk Radio. I'm excited to bring to you today's guest, Dale Partridge. He is a new friend and author of a new book called People Over Profit. It's a very good book about valuing people over money. He is the founder of Sevenly.org. He is also the founder of his new venture, Startup.com, where he teaches and mentors entrepreneurs. So check that out. Sevenly is an amazing company because they give $7 of every item purchased to charity and they raise money for a new charity every week. So it's all dedicated to giving back, which is what we talk about. One of the things we talk about in the podcast is generosity and building a business model that gives back to the world. Sevenly was also named the most social media driven company in America in 2014. And we talk a little bit about how he uses Facebook and Pinterest as the biggest sales drivers to the website and how he created a viral sensation through the Give Back program. Dale is an amazing human, super kind, and he, he has become a millionaire at age 27, which is highly incredible. And all of it is due to his principles and philosophies on putting people first. And that's what his book is about. That's what we get into is people over profit. And we get into things like transparency and accessibility and vulnerability and hiring and firing people, but in a people first sense. And it's some pretty amazing concepts that you can apply directly to your business. If it's big, if it's small, if you're a single entrepreneur, there's a lot of advice here for everyone. I know I learned a lot and I want to share that with all you guys. So keep an ear out for a free giveaway that Dale gives out a free coaching session, which I kind of want to have myself in the podcast and you can go and apply for that. So without further ado, let's jump in. What's up, guys? Today we have Dale Partridge on the show. Welcome to the show, Dale. Dude, super excited to be here, my friend. I'm super excited to have you. Dale just launched his new book called People Over Profit, which I'm super excited to get in touch and dive into deeper. And I want to hear more of your story here in just a second. But Dale started many companies and we'll get more into that. But sevenly.com is the the main one that we've talked about. So, but uh, just to get into, I want to kind of hear from you, actually, I'd rather have you tell your story and kind of give us the overview journey of, of where you're from, you know, the seven different companies that you started and then kind of get into Sevenly and then we'll jump into the book. Yeah. So I'll, I'll be quick because it seems like a long story. I, uh, I never thought I was going to be an entrepreneur. I thought for sure I was going to be a professional baseball player. And um, this was something that, you know, I grew up as a pitcher. I was a left-handed pitcher. And, and I, I actually threw very fast for my height. I was only 5'9", and I was throwing like 80-something, you know, 87 miles an hour um, in high school. And I, uh, I, I had, you know, great 
opportunities for um, advancement in college, and, and then boom, my arm broke uh, while I was pitching in a game, and, and that changed my entire trajectory. And I, I remember being unemployable. <laughs> like I remember trying to get jobs, and I would always like get fired. And, and I remember thinking, like, I either really suck as an employee or I'm an entrepreneur. And uh, I started my first company thinking, well, maybe um, I want to try to figure out why I broke. Like, why did my arm break? And so I wanted to figure out how I could fix myself in a way. And I started a fitness company. It was an in-home personal training company. And, and I loved it. I was, I was already fit because I played sports. And, and uh, I found myself growing the company quick. You know, had maybe about five employees, almost a half million dollars in revenue. It was, it was doing really well. And then I found myself you know, I was a trainer to overweight, wealthy women, which was like the worst thing ever for me. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I became a therapist and I didn't even know it. Right. So I I sold that company and, and got out of that and took the money and said, Hey, I, I, you know, I I was like, man, I, I have money and I don't know what to do with it. And and I, I started, you know, I, I ate at Chipotle, like way more than people should eat at Chipotle oh my God. at the time. And so I, I, I went to Chipotle one day and the guy like literally knows my name. He's like, hey, Dale, you know, hey, we went public today. Like you should consider buying some of our stock. And this is just like the manager there. And I was like, okay, like I, I have some money right now and I think I could do that. So I, I took 10,000 bucks and invested it into Chipotle and rode the stock from a $21 IPO all the way up to about $121 a share. Wow. And, and I was super stoked. I was like, this can't get any better. And so I sold my stock. And then if you look at it today, it's like 600 and something dollars a share. But so I totally had no idea what I was doing. And then I lost a bunch of money in solar stocks and, and you know, found out that, that, that playing the stock market is kind of like just educated gambling and said, this isn't for me. And, and found myself, you know, I was a rock climber also at the time. So I loved rock climbing. Just I hadn't been rock climbing outside as much, but I'd been climbing at a gym locally. And I said, this is great. I want to start a rock climbing gym. So I started, I, I raised a half million dollars and we built a, um, you know, an 8,000 square foot, two-story rock climbing gym in Southern California. Wow. And I, I was the CEO of this at like 22 years old. Oh and we had, we had like, uh, you know, 20 employees, you know, counting like yoga instructors and different stuff that we had, um, trainers and, and setters and people behind the desk and all the different stuff that we had there. And, and, um, I ran that company. I thought, this is it. Like, I figured out life. Like, I'm going to build rock climbing gyms for my whole life. I still have a heart for, for climbing, but I, I, you know, walked in one day and I got pulled into the yoga room by my uh, other older partners and they fired me. Wow. And they, they said, they said, Dale, you're, you're a horrible leader and you're, you know, ruining the culture of the company. And, and, and I, uh, at the time I, I, you know, I'm pissed, you know, I have no idea what they're talking about. Right. But as I, uh, as I grow older I, and, and, you know, get past this event, I realized that I was just a horrible leader. <laughs> I was so bad as a CEO and I was such a bad manager and I was cocky and egotistical and selfish. And I look back and I had like a wake of destruction through my life there, my time there. And so it was, it was a cool experience and a crappy experience because I found I had no money and, and I wasn't, uh, you know, I owned less than 50%, so I couldn't really do anything. Mm. And, uh, so I was stuck. I was like, crap, like. I was successful and now I'm not. <laughs> and it was a very weird dilemma. So I thought, oh, I got to start more companies because, you know, I have to prove that I, I actually can be an entrepreneur and that I can make money. And I went on this like rampage of starting like multiple companies. And, 
and then I kind of hit a wall. I was successful again. I just hit a wall. I just I was realizing that putting money in my pockets wasn't putting meaning to my soul. And I, I realized that that success just wasn't going to fix me. And I don't care how successful you are, uh, how successful most people are, they're still very broken inside. And I wanted to figure out um, how to blend purpose and profit. What did that look like? You know, mm. and um, and I wanted to start asking harder questions, like see if I could flip capitalism upside down. Like what 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 was how could I blend that? And I actually I'm a Christian guy, but so I I literally started this this question or, or this search. I was like. Okay, if Jesus was an entrepreneur, like what would his business look like? And I would—I don't want it to be like some corny Christian business, like because ninety-nine percent of all Christian businesses are incredibly corny. And um, I came up with this idea of Sevenly, and um, it was—you know—every week we'd partner with a new charity, and we'd give seven dollars of every item sold to that charity. So if we sold a thousand products in one week, we would give a charity seven thousand dollars. And you know, at the time, I, I so badly wanted to be like. The, the guy that's in Africa that's like, oh, look at me. Like, I'm an entrepreneur and like I'm saving the world. I wanted to be like Blake Mykoski from Tom's and, and Scott Harrison from Charity Water, right? I wanted to be those guys. And, <laughs> and I realized I'm just not that guy. Like, I hate traveling. Like, I, I, I you know, I do it all the time, but I, I don't enjoy airplanes. I don't enjoy time, time zone changes. And, and I don't enjoy like being away from family. And, and so I, I had to come to the realization that that I wasn't called to the field. I was called to the people, called to the field. So I started helping charities out, helping them raise awareness, helping them raise money. And Sevenly just grew really quick. And it was the first time that I, I really felt like, wow, like this, is, this business is working. And we grew from, from about zero to um, almost 50 employees in about two and a half years. And uh, yeah, and we... We had now raised um, about $4.2 million in $7 donations, and it was this incredible experience. But at the same time, I learned that companies can grow way faster than people can. Hmm. And um, I, that was a scary thing for a creative entrepreneur like me. I thought, okay, I, I can't read enough books. I can't get enough mentor sessions. I can't, I can't like, have enough therapy to, like, to lead this stress, right? And, and, uh, I started having anxiety attacks and, and panic and, and insomnia and stress beyond stress. And, and, you know, our, our payroll was in like the hundreds of thousands every two weeks. <laughs> so like wow. it was for a 27 year old at the time, you know, mm-hmm. I'm like, this is a lot of stress when you have, you walk in, there's certain days I was, I would start walking in and there's people that were working there that I've never met. <laughs> and I was like, that was that was like a weird a weird thing, and I had a lot of struggles through through that time at Sevenly, like learning who I was, learning how to be a leader, and what it meant to really be an entrepreneur, and how to like make a team click, and how to build culture, and how to build a movement, and 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 how to handle all this without breaking. And I realized that executives and CEOs get paid well because their job is to bear the weight that others don't have to. And that's really all it is because we, I don't do any more work uh, than, than anybody else, really. I mean, we all worked hard. The thing is, is that I, I bore the weight of the, like the emotional weight uh, of the company and the stress of that company. And, you know, I, I didn't, you're, you're not allowed to share that with anybody unless you're sharing up, you know, sharing with your mentor, sharing with your board. And uh, it's, it's a lonely space. There's that book called um, It's Lonely at the Top. Mm. 
And it is. It's it's you. How many other twenty-seven-year-olds can I call up and say, "Hey, man, does it isn't life really hard when you got fifty employees in a multi-million-dollar company and you're stressing <laughs> out because you're married and have a baby too?" Like no one. I have like eight people on the planet that can relate with me, right? Right. Um, and it's super. It's super lonely. And um, but in this process, I got a chance to learn how to build a great business and and. Uh, and it was built with a philosophy that's completely backwards to almost every way of doing business today. Um, it's becoming more popular now, um, but you know, four years ago, uh, 2011, this philosophy of valuing people over profit just wasn't out there. And we were coming off the heels of a of a massive, you know, recession where we're seeing like consumers are highly skeptical. Like capitalism is a dirty word. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like all these things. So we, you know, creating this company, there's a quote um, that says, uh, in a time of universal deceit, truth becomes a revolutionary act. And it's mm-hmm. the idea that if everything's dark and you're light, like y- you stand out like a giant bright star. And that's what like Tom's shoes was in 2006. Like we're watching the economy just start to tank, right? And, and you know, all of a sudden... 2008, everything's falling apart, and then Tom Shoes gets this like AT and T commercial that's like, "We're a great company," I, you know, that that gives shoes away, and look at us changing the world while the rest of the world's looking at capitalism, going like, "Oh my gosh, what a horrible, horrible thing that is," and so they were this like in a in a time of universal deceit, truth, you know, becomes a revolutionary act, and I built kind of this whole philosophy around around the idea of valuing people over profit, not people instead of profit. I'm not a communist, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, like it's, it's valuing people over profit. And I realized that companies that do that are actually more profitable. And, um, and yeah, that's, that's what I, I wrote the book about is, is that philosophy. Wow, I love it. Great story. <laughs> it sounds like you've been through quite a journey so far. Yeah, yeah. You're not even counting like, you know, the birth of babies and and, you know, getting married and all the, the other personal side of move, moving out of state and building a house and all the other things that go on with, with life and, you know, in your late 20s to 30s. Yeah, no kidding. So first, for, for people that don't really know what Sevenly is, can you give us a little bit of an explanation of how, you know, how it works and, and sure. how you built it? Yeah, so, so what we did is, you know, Sevenly was kind of like the same type of product you would get maybe at like an Urban Outfitters. Um, it's shirts and hats and beanies and prints and jackets and, you know, different stuff, knickknacks. And we would create products in the very beginning that would relate with the charity's cause that week. So say we worked with, you know, hunger. You know, we would have a shirt that's like, give more, love the hungry or whatever. Or we'd have some quote like, someone's praying for the things you take for granted, right? Or, you know, some some just like emotional statement or great design and the one thing that we did differently on our shirts and almost all of our graphics is that we did everything hand-drawn. And that was kind of one big differentiator that we, that we were doing at that time that no one else was doing. Yeah. Um, you probably remember, Nick, that like the, the wave of typography like on its way up. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, like now typography is kind of a standard. I, I don't think that it's faded in any way. But it's, it's like it's been here for a while. Like hand, hand lettering like came back. And I just swooped up like five of the best typography people on, on, you know, the North American continent. <laughs> and I just, I grabbed those guys and said, Hey, come work for Sevenly, come work for Sevenly. And we, we popped out an incredible amount of really good art. 
and um, with great statements and and so yeah, we would sell a product and then seven dollars would go to a charity. So we're ultimately creating a you know a purchase with a purpose for customers, and it's yeah. a guilt it's a guilt free buying experience, and that's why we we were succeeding is that you're already buying shirts like you're already buying, you know, hats, you're already buying maybe prints for your walls, like buy them from us instead of some other company that's not going to give. And because you, you know, $7 does so much more than you think. Mm. Seven bucks can, you know, feed a kid for like two weeks, you know, seven bucks can, can provide someone clean water for a year. Seven bucks can, you know, vaccinate for like seven deadly diseases for 10 years. Seven bucks can almost pay for a malaria net for one person. Like, it's crazy how much $7 can do in, in a developing country. So we would quantify that and, and, and tell people that message. And, um, and it, it, you know, it, it worked and it was hard. I mean, giving 23% of your top line revenue away didn't make sense. (laughs) Right. (laughs) For a while I was thinking like, holy crap, we're giving away $1.8 million this year. Like this is insane, but it worked. It worked. And, and I think that, um, I think that it's still working. It's still changing. I mean, we're you know we're we're trying to play with the market. Facebook's changed a lot of things, and and our our staff has gotten a lot smaller. Trying to be more lean. Mm-hmm. I left as CEO because uh, just transition in my life, and I'm still a, a co-owner of the company. And but yeah, so it's just been a, a long journey and a, a great journey, and just kind of excited to now write about it. Yeah, how did you grow the company more, giving away that much? Yeah, you know, I I think that what it was is you. you you don't realize that the generosity. So there's a, there's a statement that I, I say in the book is that generosity must be built in, not tacked on, and mm-hmm. and that also that generosity is less like an arrow. It's more like a boomerang. It just comes back to you in so many different ways, and you have no idea what that looks right. like, right? And for us, generosity kept coming back in the form of really great marketing. And so every time, <laughs> every time we would give, we're we're starting to see, you know. Uh, people talk about us like the word of mouth virality from this model was insane and and the people wanted to rally behind it and and uh, one thing that I learned is that at this point I never thought I was going to build a multi-million dollar company I, I mean literally that was it was the first shift that I made my thinking that I think really made me successful is that I stopped thinking about the money and and, mm. and I realized I started thinking about instead of thinking about how to make a million dollars how can I help a million people and mm. that was that was like the big shift. And I, I, I thought, what problem, like giant issue can I get lost in? And the, that for me was, was like raising awareness for charities and just like making sure that that happened. And the more I focused there, the more money we made. It was, it was literally all of a sudden I kind of like pulled my eyes up and was like, wow, like mm. this is working. I mean, sure, I was cognizant of, of it happening, but my, my focus was just so missional, which is the different shift. It was, it was the, the idea of just chasing people and profits a result of that. And it, it, mm. it just worked in a, a very beautiful way that I didn't expect. Yeah, that's amazing. So you were also the most social media driven company last year, 2014. How did that come about? You know, I think that one thing I came from is that I was a really good social media marketer. I understand social media, you know, very well. I've built large accounts for a long time and, you know, I have a large mm-hmm. following myself, you know, any, anything from like 750,000 on Pinterest to, you know, 140,000 on Twitter. And, and I, I've learned how to, uh, the strategy behind building great accounts, but also 
how to communicate because I think people, you know, the big strategy for my whole marketing savvy is, is speak to people how they need to hear it, not how you want to say it. And I use that philosophy all the time. And, and another quote that I, I really drive with my marketing is, is if they knew what you knew, they would do as you do. And so I, I, it's all about translating information to people correctly and, and getting them to you know, persuade them or provide them the information they need to, to buy. And, and, and maybe it's not to buy, it's to like, to follow, to, to, to be influenced by, to give them your email, to uh, tell, us, tell someone about it, you know, to share. Um, yeah. And so you know, I, I took this philosophy along with a few other great leaders that understood social media on my team. And we just indoctrinated our marketing strategy with this like very empathetic marketing, like where it's, it's just like as authentic and real as it gets. Um, mm. And this is again, this is like four years ago before, you know, people were on, we were on Instagram, like sharing photos of our staff and like telling their stories like three and a half years ago where this is a very common thing now. And so we were just really pushing those stories and it was a, uh, it was a great result. So we got in this competition with Mashable and they, they said, Hey, let's put together like the top, you know, online social media brands out there. And we were rallying against like blue bottle coffee and like Warby Parker was in there. And like, I think Jack threads was in the, in the race even too. And, and, um, and we ended up, you know, having this competitions, like, you know, they would say like, put out this something on Twitter that, you know, and see what kind of reaction you get. And, and how much traffic and how much, and we had to do these reports. And ultimately, uh, out of all these great companies, we won the title of, of America's most social small business uh, in 2014, which is a cool, a cool thing. And, and um, I think it's what keeps us alive still today is that we have a really good social media marketing team um, working for us at Sevenly. Uh, that's amazing. Well done. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> and one other quick question on that is how does, how does, did Pinterest kind of catalyze that? Cause it sounds like that was a big, uh, that's been a big, um, part of your sales and growth. Yeah. Pinterest is, is like my secret weapon, you know, like it's, I, uh, I have a blog, you know, dalepartridge.com that does about a million visitors a month. And then I also have my startupcamp.com where I help people start their own businesses that does about 250,000 uh, visitors per month. And I'd say 50% of those traffic sources is from Pinterest. So so lots of traffic driving from Pinterest. And I, I, have, I have a few accounts. It's not just my own, but I have you know, this one. And then my wife has another account where she has about 700 and something thousand followers on it as well. Um, and, and Pinterest is great because you've got so much curation opportunity, but people want really good content. They're looking for great content. They're looking for great products. And there's also no limits. It's kind of like you know, Facebook kind of limited, put the limiter on there so that they could become this giant multi-billion dollar company. Um, Twitter is, is very open. Instagram's still open. Tumblr is still open. Pinterest is still open where you post something and everybody that follows you has a chance to see it. And so um, there's that functionality of it all. And Pinterest is just, it's, it's a unique buyer. I mean, it's the right buyer for me. I mean, someone that's on Pinterest all the time, it's a dedicated pinner, hmm. I think has, uh, you know, they're a better buyer. They're, they're, they're more educated. They're more sophisticated. They, you know, they're, they're typically a little bit older. Um, they have more money. Um, and so, so, uh, you know, you can tell stories through Pinterest and, and, you know, curate some of these great boards and, and really get people to know you because they know what you love. And, um, and that's been, uh, that's been kind of the secret success for me. You know, if you go to my, my account, just pinterest.com forward slash Dale Partridge, 
you scroll down to a board called Inspiring Words, and you'll see a bunch of quotes that I put, but you'll also see some articles that I, I put to my blog. And um, you can, you'll see that's the strategy I use to drive traffic, if, you, if you're interested in learning about that. Mm, that's cool. So how, now how do you manage all, all this yourself? I mean, especially as like, there's a lot of us creative entrepreneurs that are trying to do everything ourselves. And it's just like another social media thing, like Snapchat and yeah, <laughs> Pinterest right. and Instagram and like everything. How do you personally manage your own stuff? You know, I have a team about about 900 people. No, I'm kidding. I, uh, I have, uh, you know, I, one of my favorite quotes for business is do what you do and do it well and what you don't do well, outsource. So I have two people that work for me. Um, so one I pay 500 bucks a month for and she just manages all my social media scheduling. It's super easy. It's cheap. Uh, she lives locally, which is great. I'm a big fan of like employ people in your own community. And then I have my assistant who's been with me for about, geez, probably three and a half years now. And she still lives in Southern California where I'm from, but she's actually moving to Oregon soon too. But I, I employ her and I pay her a, a, you know, a couple thousand bucks a month plus some commission opportunities if she, she can you know, get some, some speaking engagements and different things like that for me. Mm-hmm. And then um, I have my, my whole business model now after Sevenly and going through this whole experience is really like highest amount of revenue, least amount of employees, geographically independent. So I, I want to be able to live anywhere. I want to be able to have freedom and purpose and connection. I want to. I want to have be able to to still make, you know, decent money. Whether it's last year, I, I'm 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 pretty public with my income earnings. Last year we did about a half million dollars. I, I like that space to play in. Um, it's hard to it's hard to have a small team and mm. get up into the three four million dollar space. And again, you don't like. I'm at this point where it's like I, I mean I don't know how people make ten million dollar salaries and and spend that kind of money. It's crazy to me. And so <laughs> you know I also have a a, a retainer web designer that I keep on a small retainer every month um, and, uh, and a retainer video uh, media production guy in my town again mm. that I, I just have these small retainers going on. So my, my, my monthly overhead for, for my staff is, you know, maybe eight to $10,000 a month. But when you're making, you know, forty fifty thousand $50,000 a month, it's not a big deal. That's what works for me. And I, I don't think that I, I couldn't imagine having any more people than I have now. Maybe, you know, I would maybe just scale some hours up for these people. And so, so that's been really great. That's what my team kind of looks like. It's very simple. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, and it's different. It's, it's not the, um, you know, the, the, everybody wakes up and goes in the office and we have 50 people there every day. And that, that's, that was a really good experience. Realized that it's not for me and, uh, excited to kind of have a little bit more freedom to, to be a good dad and a good husband and, and a good friend and not to go crazy. <laughs> Well, that's great. I mean, it's all, it's about life balance, right? I think that's the, the big thing opportunity that we have here in the U S I lived in Paris for half a year. I think the biggest thing I took back from that is that people there are so it's lazy. Like people, you can't get anything done because nobody does anything, but people enjoy, (laughs) people enjoy life. (laughs) People enjoy life there here in the U S we have the opportunity to make money and it's a choice how we balance that. And it's cool to see that you're uh, coming to that and, and or just like creating that for yourself in your own life. Yeah. You know, I, I read a quote that was on a piece of metal that my grandma gave to my dad. My dad gave to me and it's, it's a key hook and it hangs in our house and it says, you know, uh, never get too busy making a living that you forget to make a life. Hmm. So, I mean, too many of us, you know, what we do is we get so focused on chasing the dream and the career and the, and the, you know, the, mostly the selfish desires of our hearts 
that we find ourselves, you know, 48 years old and, and not, and we missed a lot of the, the really important things in life. Mm-hmm. You know, we missed, we missed the marriage. We missed the children. We missed the, the deep connected, committed relationships of friendships. And, and because we're always moving and we're always looking and we're always, we're always unrooting. And, um, because we, we're addicted to variety and we can't be content with what we have. And, and so I, I've just, I, I've just found out as I've, you know, been a father and, and been now married for, you know, going on six years and, and I'm learning that, that like this, this is the stuff that really counts because at the end of the day, I don't care if I make, you know, a hundred million dollars in my life, you know, I'm, I'm going to sit on my deathbed and I'm not going to be like, man, I wish I made 101 million. <laughs> uh, you know, like I'm going to just be like, all, all I'm going to say is I'm going to gosh, I wish I spent more time, you know, with my daughter or with my kids mm. or with my, my dog or whatever. Right. Like just, I, I, those are the things that really matter. And so I'm, I'm really trying to get, jump into perspective and help other people jump into that perspective as business leaders as like, Hey, it's okay if you only make a hundred thousand dollars a year, but you have a full, like you have, you have like a great life. Like you have so much freedom, like you can spend with your family. And, and so, um, you know, I think that our, we all want to be millionaires, but like at the end of the day, remember that like a hundred thousand dollars a year is still a lot of money. And, um, and especially if you don't have to go to a job to do, to get it every day. Um, so, so yeah, don't shoot for a million, just shoot for a hundred grand in freedom. And, (laughs) you know, there's nothing better than that. And sure, like I said, get lost in a big problem and you'll find yourself making more money anyways. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what a big part of this podcast is about. It's creative entrepreneurship, but it's also the lifestyle. It's also creating that life fulfillment from like health and fitness and wellness to lifestyle design, philanthropy, values and legacy. And I mean, creative entrepreneurship, but I love that you said that because it completely resonates here. Now, I kind of want to get into just transition and talking about the book because I'm very, I'm really excited about this. I love, uh, I been kind of cruising through it this weekend and the whole idea of people over profit. And it seems like there's two intersects there, two kind of places. There's your consumers and then like there's your internal team. And I kind of love to hear from you, like how the book talks about both of those. Yeah. So one thing is that, you know, people over profit leaders, like companies like Whole Foods or Patagonia or In-N-Out Burger or, you know, Ben and Jerry's or Chick-fil-A or REI or some of these great companies that just have these great brands for long stretches of time. I mean, brands that, that are just, they have a cult-like following of people mm-hmm. that are dedicated and their employees are well taken care of. And because remember, like at the end of the day, I don't want to follow some guy because he's a millionaire. For me, that's like, cool, you're a millionaire. You can make money. Almost everybody can make money. And a lot of people can make millions of dollars. What's very difficult to do is to 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 build a, a large successful company and have a really great, you know, marriage and children relationship and all these other important relationships, have a really good name, operate with integrity, have no like past experiences of like public moral failure. And I mean, those men and women are the people that I'm looking for. And so I, I looked at some of these great companies and and they're great because they value people over profit. And and they're not actually looking for the things like these people have no idea that they're doing this. That's the interesting thing is they, they don't realize that they all have this common thread through them. And, you know, they're not looking. These people aren't looking in the Harvard Business Review for their next tactic and strategy. These people are looking 
to the lessons that they learned in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And they're leaning on these things of like, just tell the truth and, and be kind and share and love one another and these basic, basic principles. And it sounds so stupid simple, but at the end of the day, being kind and loving people and not lying are some of the things that they, I mean, these are things that people struggle with forever, right? (laughs) Like people are 48 years old and they're still lying. That's like almost everybody, you know, is still lying at 48 years old, right? Yeah. People still don't know how to be kind. People over profit leaders, you know, have been able to take these tactics, these lessons and translate those things into business and, and just be incredibly dedicated to these like basic, basic principles. And that's what the whole book's about. But I, going back to your question, Nick, on, on the difference between employees and what does that look like and, and consumers, you know, I'll, I'll give you a story about employees. Um, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to flip capitalism upside down. Like what, what have we been doing? You know, just because we've done something for a long time doesn't mean that it's the best way to do it. Right. And, and I think people look at capitalism like, there's one way to hire. There's one way to fire. There's one way to, you know, pay people. Like, and I think that we're breaking that mold. Mm. And I think that this generation isn't going to let the patterns of the past dictate their future of capitalism. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're redefining. We're redefining and restoring capitalism because capitalism is great. It's like the most productive, most effective, like system on the planet. It's free enterprise. I mean, it yeah. works. Any country in the history of that we know about that is absent of capitalism is falling apart. <laughs> and so like capitalism is great. The problem is, is that what we're seeing today, what a lot of companies are doing today isn't capitalism. It's like some dirty, nasty version of greed that's wrapped in capitalism's jacket and like claiming to be something that's not. Mm-hmm. So for us, I, I was sitting there one day and I go, I go, man, so we asked people to give us two weeks notice before they leave the company. But we fire people on the spot. Mm. Like, that's ridiculous, right? Like, where, who made that rule? And it's like, you know, hey, before you leave, can you let us know? Uh, you know, two weeks is nice, but even if you let us a month know, that'd be great. And then, you know, hey, man, uh, I need to talk to you today. Uh, you're fired. And, you know, get out of here and, you know, go look for another job. And so that, that contrast there, I was like, this isn't, this is like, this isn't right. That's, that's a dirty version of capitalism. Let's get rid of that. Mm. And so I said, I said, well, let's recreate the golden rule. And the golden rule is, is we fire people the way we would like to be fired. And I'll tell you, nobody likes to get fired. It's a crappy day for anybody, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like a crappy day. We don't have to like make it any worse. So you know, we, we changed some of the things that we did is we, we would always fire people on Friday. We would always uh, extend them um, and give them you know, a week or two or three or four sometimes of extended pay depending on how long they've been with us and, and if they needed it. Because we got to remember, they have mortgages and wives and husbands and children and bills. And like they're people, right? Yeah. They're not parts of a machine. They're people. <laughs> and we would never speak to the person. We'd only speak to the problem. Um, I'd often write them a letter of recommendation for the things they are good at. And, you know, we would, we would make it a very uh, a growth moment. And we would actually... One thing that we did that was completely unique is that we would we would ask them if they'd want to come back on Monday and sit in front of the entire company in the center of the room and let everybody on staff tell them one thing they love about them. Wow. And about 80% of the people did that. And they would come back and we would sit back in the in in the room and say, you know, 
like John, you, you are like, I wake up in the morning and I'm so excited to come hang out with you here at the office. Like you make me laugh every day. And then someone else would be like, you always got stuff done on time and made my job so much easier. Right. And so it switches the mentality once they, once they are so affirmed and stepped into that bravery of like being affirmed and being vulnerable, they, they can walk out knowing that, that one, they have all these connections with all these people still. They're not a past employee. They're alumni. I mean, they're, they're literally like, it changes the entire experience. And, you know, and oftentimes I remember one time we had a, an employee who was having a baby. So we like extended their benefits and we would often sometimes help let people keep their computers, even though we bought them. Like we just started thinking about like every situation is different. Every person is different, you know, and, and the people that are incredibly dangerous in the world are the people that say, Hey man, it's not, it's not personal. It's just business. Mm. Like that guy, that guy needs to get punched because, <laughs> because, because everything is personal, right? Like what in life isn't personal? Right. And so those are dangerous, dangerous people in the, in the business world. And so my thought is, is like, no, you're trying to escape responsibility, my friend. You're trying to, you're a crappy leader is what that guy is. <laughs> and so I'm all about with, you know, step into it and say, hey, how it's way harder to value people over profit. Like way harder. Yeah, no kidding. You know, and it's easy to fall back on those those things of the past. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think that if you're fi- firing people in that sense, you know, you must have a pretty good hiring system because if you're gonna bring in good people, you know, I th- and then culture them into the company, I'm sure you're probably not firing them out of toxicity or or maybe you are, yeah. but like you know, like the question that arises is, well, what if this person's toxic and you let them go? Are they gonna, are they going to wreak havoc everywhere? Kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I remember that, that that's the wreaking havoc is just it. All it is is a result of bad leadership. Mm. So like, it's just like remember you know people. I remember one one of my friends told me he says he was talking about his kids. He's he has some older kids and they're like sixteen or seventeen and. He was like, people tell me all the time, like, you know, are you afraid for like that stage where your kids rebel against you and like they, they sneak out and they're like having sex and, and doing all these things. And he goes, he goes, you know what? That's common. He says, that's not normal. Mm. Um, he says, just because it's common and it, and it happens in a lot of other families, it doesn't happen in my family yeah. because what, because that's not normal for your kids to rebel. It's not normal for your, so the same thing is with, with your employees is that, that it's not normal for an employee to wreak havoc. It's not normal to, to have someone destroy your internal culture. That's common because leaders are really bad at being leaders Mm. and, and people are afraid to step into those hard conversations and, and to like, to cry with people and employees and to, and to be empathetic and to like be vulnerable and transparent and, and have those hard conversations and to care for people. So what we did is we were constantly just, we would never let it get there. You know, sure, I'm sure it happened at least once in our company, but we would desperately try to make sure that it didn't. And it's because you're, you're constantly having conversations with people. And, and if it gets toxic, even the first sign of it, there's a warning. There's a conversation. Mm. And then if it gets even more toxic, there's a second warning. And there's a third, there's a third warning. And then it would be a fire. There was, I don't think there was ever a case where we would just walk in and say, you got to get out of here. When you do that, that means that you've been missing signs for months. And <laughs> you're just a really bad CEO or manager. So... This is, you know, this is the type of philosophy that I've, I've kind of put through this book is like, is that these, if you want to be a great manager, a great employee, a great 
you know, entrepreneur, a great CEO, or just have a really good understanding of what capitalism should look like, that's who the book's for. It's, it's for someone that wants to kind of change the shape of what business and work looks like. Absolutely. So how do you, when you're hiring people, what do you, with this idea of people over profit and in, in mine, who are you hiring now? Is it a different context? Yeah. I mean, so we're hiring, we're setting the expectations for people. You know, that's the thing. One of my uh, mentors told me once, he says, Dale, the most important thing you'll ever do is manage expectations. And I, 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 I sat on that for like months. I'm trying to figure out what the heck that meant. And it's true. I mean, managing the expectations for everybody is what makes a really great leader because nobody likes surprises. So what we would do is we would follow the mantra, hire slow, fire fast, right? But we would not fire rudely, right? If we needed to make a change, we would do it. But we would never like on the dot go, oh my gosh, fast for us is about four weeks, <laughs> not, like, not like four minutes, right? So, but we would hire slow and we would take this approach of, of multi-interviews. So we would, what we would do is someone at the very bottom how the organization would go, Hey, I need to hire somebody. And they would go, okay. So we'd give them, we'd say, okay, drop a, a position results description and what we call it a PRD. And in that description would be their job description. It would, it would give all the key results areas. It would ultimately give them a map on how to win. And it would have no surprises. This is exactly what the position looks like. And then it would get approved. And then we would put a pay stamp on it. Like how much the, the, the position's worth, like a range and then they would interview that person. They would, you know, call out, try to get people to come in. We would interview those people. Then their boss would interview those people. Then uh, those top candidates would be interviewed by our executives. And then the last interview would be with me. Mm. And I would have the last interview. I don't care if you're, you know, in the last employee on, you know, and, and I couldn't hit all of them. I could, I hit most of them, you know, but my COO would definitely see everybody. So, but for, for higher up positions, mid tier, I was, I was pretty much seeing probably 70% of the hires that were coming through the company mm. and they would have a meeting with me and, and I would try to get to know them and ask them questions that are way deeper than, than work questions. I mean, I'd ask them what their relationship with their parents is and I'd ask them like, you know, kind of the deep history of their, their personal lives. Because I think that again, like I said, everything's personal. Mm-hmm. Um, studies show that if you have a really bad relationship with your father, that you're going to be a harder employee to manage. Doesn't mean that I can't hire you, but if 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 you have this like absent you know relationship with authority, like that's a that's a hard that's a sign for me as a leader going like okay, well I need to take that in consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, and how is that going to affect this this relationship? Have they been able to overcome this? Are they constantly job hopping because they've been fired from every place because they can't submit to authority? So I asked those questions and, and then we would, uh, if we gave them the hire, we'd offer them a formal letter and, and then we would create this incredible onboarding experience where we would, you know, give them a letter from me. They would get like, uh, some free product from us. They'd get, you know, uh, four or five gift cards to take fellow employees out to, to lunch the first week they're there, uh, that we would pay for them. We would, we would give them the strengths finder tests, which they can take and then, give them uh, a couple gifts and, and then just uh, their first day, you know, we would walk them through the office and spend a whole day with one person and take them out to lunch with their key people. And, and it was just this really great onboarding experience where people felt like they, like we've already weeded out any mistakes and, and, and we've, we've, we've got them on board. They feel loved. They feel cared for. They feel part of this tight knit community. And another thing, like actually I'll mention this real quick, just cause I was, I almost said it. I almost said family right there. And I, I have, learned that when 
companies that say we're a family is just a really bad idea uh, because you're not a family. Mm. And um, it's one of those things that, that today's young leaders do often. They go, you know, we're like a family here. You know, you're not a family. And a lot of people have a really bad history with family. And so when you, when you say that and you give the expectation that you're going to love me like a family, that's not accurate to what you're doing here in, in business. Um, you're not doing them a favor. You're not a family. You're a business. And you can have community and be very caring. But don't set the expectation that you're a family when you're not. And so those things like that that I, I kind of list off in the book that I think really hit home for a lot of people that are in that position. Wow, that's great. I'll have to check that chapter out. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's hard to, read, hard to read a book in a, in a few days, but work yeah, on it. Yeah, totally. Uh, but I definitely want to get to a couple of the, 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 a few of the sections that really stood out to me. Yep, sure. Uh, the first one was the transparency freeze and the whole idea of vulnerability plus accessibility equals transparency. I'd love to hear from you kind of a breakdown of each vulnerability, accessibility, and then like the whole thing together. Like what does each of those mean? Yeah, so a lot of people, um, you know, when they, they, they say, oh, we want to be transparent. We want to be a really transparent company. And like there's companies like Buffer who like, you know, show everybody's salaries like public as you can see how much everybody makes at the company. And, and um, the difference between you can't have transparency without vulnerability plus accessibility, right? So you go, you know, you get these, these like McDonald's goes, oh, you know, hey, we're going to be vulnerable. We're going to tell you exactly what's in our food. And we're going to tell you exactly how many calories that it's in and, and all the, the, maybe where we source the chicken nuggets and, and, and all these different things. But we're also going to hide it in like 18 pages deep on our website. Or if you go into, this, into one of our restaurants, you're going to see it behind the counter in a box where nobody knows that it's there, right? And so, so it's, it's vulnerability absent of accessibility, which does not equal transparency. And when you look at accessibility, right, accessibility means that you go, or like credit card companies are so good at this, right? They, they go, hey, you know, all these different things on the front of the envelope, it's like 4% cash back and like $250, you know, towards your next flight or whatever, right? And then, you know, the very bottom and the, you know, the back page, it says, you know, and if you miss one payment, we're going to make your, your interest rate go up to 24.99%, right? <laughs> and yeah. it's like, it's so, it's so like, why isn't that clear? It's, it's, again, it's vulnerable. It's not accessible. So you need the accessible and vulnerability together to equal transparency. And, and we had to do this throughout our company over and over and over again. So you go, we give money, but we actually want We created reports every year that would come out that show like who, how much we gave, how much, or how much we made, how much we gave. And we're a for-profit, right? Like we don't have to do this. We're like a public we're not a public company. Like we, we have the ability to hide this information, but we would constantly make these things, you know, be vulnerable of what we made and what we are giving. Um, and then we would be vulnerable and, and make it accessible and, and send it out to people and that you can see that we've, we've done these many things with charities and we've, we've actually done this stuff. And like, look, we'd even share like things like how much, you know, how many female employees we have versus male employees. Like what are our age ranges? Like all these different things that were very accessible. Mm. And I think that that really makes people feel like they get to see the inside of the company. And, and remember, people that aren't transparent seem like they have something to hide, especially in a day where, where I can wake up and see what you know, Donald Trump's new tie looks like, and I can see like, what my favorite photography influencer's daughter is doing in the morning. <laughs> and I have this massive level of transparency all over my life. 
And then when a company says, I can't see in, I'll, all I think is, hmm, like, what are they trying to hide? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so we, I, the lack of transparency is a liability, in my, in my opinion now. So sure, you can't share your everything. You know, Coca-Cola can't share their secret sauce, but, but you can share more than we did for the past, you know, 70 years of capitalism. Yeah, so probably you probably need like a, a product or culture of integrity too, because I mean, <laughs> you, if you want to be transparent, you want to be able to share, uh, yeah, be authentic, I guess, in, in that sort of sense. And that's kind of the next the next thing a section that I really loved was the authenticity piece and like how do you create authenticity within a company and then, well, and and then how does this relate to your life in general? Yeah, I mean, I think that becoming comfortable with who you are is like one of the hardest things. I, I, I've spent so many freaking years trying to impress other people. <laughs> Gosh, it sucks, man. Like I, I spent, I, 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 like one of my favorite quotes is, do you remember who you were before the world told you who you should be? Ooh. And I, I mean, I don't know who I am sometimes. I go, man, am I, am I putting on a front on social media? Like who... Like if, if, if not, no one else was here and nothing else mattered, like who would I be and, and would I be doing the things that I'm doing? Like how much of it am I doing it just because I want to get more followers on Twitter or I want to get more followers on Facebook and it's sick, man. Like social media is, it's this very, um, it's the highlight reels of our lives and our companies. Yeah. And so the ever pursuit of, of authenticity is incredibly important because you're constantly battling against it and, and, um, you know, there's, there's a quote that I put in the book. It's like, anything that's not you, you know, murder it, <laughs> strangle it, you know, drag it into your backyard and bury it, you know? And, and like, I, I'm trying to do that every day. Like, find out, if you're listening to this podcast, find out what are you doing that's not you and, and, uh, and kill it, murder it and bury it in your backyard. And, um, and the same thing is for your company, the company you work for. Like, what are you guys doing that's just not you? And that's an important question I think more people need to ask. Yeah, most definitely. But what about in a company when there is multiple people and you can have multiple use? <laughs> yeah, you need the executives and the, the, the CEO, the founders, they, they need to get together and, and define who they are in the beginning and stick with it. I mean, sure, you need to be able to make change and shift with the market, but you shouldn't change who you are. It's like, remember, like a person, you, you can change your clothes all day long, especially as styles change from the 80s to the 90s to the 2000s to, 2000, to 2015 today, right? Like you can change those things, but you don't need to change your personality. You know, like just be comfortable with who you are, but identify it as a company. What's your personality and what are your clothes? Because you can change your clothes all day long, but don't change your personality because if people don't like who you are, then, you know, th- th- you got to ask why, you know, why, why is that? Because it's typically a healthy individual, a healthy company should be loved by anybody if it's going to be successful. Mm, very good. Very good. So now what about you personally? How have you found, uh, your authenticity? I think that moving to, you know, I moved from, from Southern California to central Oregon. You know, I, I bought seven acres and building a house and starting a farm. And, and I realized like at the end of the day, I, all I want to do is just hang out outside I, I have a whole bunch of things in my life that never end. Like mm-hmm. my email never ends. Like my book marketing never ends. Like there's no end to all these things. I want to start doing things that have an end. I want to start like mowing my lawn because when I'm done, I'm done with that project. And I want to build a fence and a chicken coop. And I want to have like that connection with the land and, and, and 
be able to have that quiet in my life. And so there's, I'm searching for a more truthful existence. Mm. And I, I feel like humans have lived for so many years, I mean, tens of thousands of years, absent of tech. And I think that we're inside and we can't even realize how much it's changed us. And so for me, like true success for me would be that I don't have to touch anything that has like electronics in it. I mean, I would love that. I mean, it, I just can't do that yet. And, but my goal is, is to, to just be able to be like, wake up and, you know, I love having phones. I mean, that's great. I just don't want to carry one all the time. And I, I mean, I love my Tempur-Pedic bed. That's a great thing too. <laughs> but, you know, but I, I don't, I don't want to be ran my whole life by, by the internet. And um, so, yeah, so that's, I'm learning about who I want to be. And remember that most of us aren't wealthy enough to be free of the internet. Mm. You know, we're so poor that we're stuck behind these screens. <laughs> and, you know, so like I, I always tell people like I, I, I bust my ass so that I could become a farmer. I mean, it makes no sense, right? <laughs> You're like, I'm, I'm going to build a multi-million dollar company just so I can become a farmer where it was so backwards, you know, like just a hundred years ago. So yeah, it's uh, the real life for me is, is outside. I love it. I love it. So my favorite, my favorite chapter here was the generosity chapter. And we, we touched a little bit on it earlier, but, uh, you know, I've seen this, this idea work in, in my own life and, and, and I don't know, you've, you know, Adam Braun, uh, pencils of promise. Yep. I met Adam six years ago and before he, like when he just started pencils of promise and kind of teamed up with him, because I've always believed that giving back has been a huge part of my life and career. And I wanted to like integrate that. And for me, I've shot all the pencils of promise, like photos over the last few years. And for me, that's given back in exponential ways that I haven't even, and would have never even thought of. And it's, I've never gone into it to, to get anything back, but just that idea. So I, I love that you talked about that in the book and I'd love to hear more of the idea and how do you create that into the DNA versus the thing you do, like you talked about in the book. Yeah. You know, um, so I, I use two quotes about generosity, right? Is that is, you know, generosity must be built in, not tacked on. Yes. And the general, the generosity is less like an arrow and more like a boomerang. It has a way of coming back to you. Mm. And so generosity is ultimately it's at the core, it's abundance and need. And it's connecting those two. Mm. Okay. So, so someone has abundance. You have abundance, Nick, in the ability that you have all the things to shoot photos. You have the time. And then there's a need to tell a story. So like there's the need. The connection of that generosity can be synonymous with just the word love. So in my, my opinion, generosity is at the Webster defines it as, as um, to give freely without expecting anything in return. Mm. So today, generosity is, is different. Um, I call it investment giving where you go, I'm going to give to a charity, but I want to know exactly what you do with my money. Okay, that's not true generosity. Mm. That's giving and it's, it's generous, sure. But, but true generosity is when you walk up to someone and, and like, you, know, you say, hey, they say they have a need and you go, you know what, here, I'm going to give it to you and you don't have any questions asked. It's just true out of like love giving. And I think we need to do that in our companies and we need to translate, remember, the simple idea. And this is what I talk about in the book, but I translate these simple ideas into what it looks like in business. 
So I won't talk too much more about it because I think that there's so many good things in there that I want people to force themselves to go buy the book. But it's it's so good when you can start living with generosity. And remember that generosity is rarely about money. Mm. And so that's the that's the big key is that how do you how what does that look like? And and that's again like that whole chapter talks about that. Yeah, I mean I think it's generosity on a uh, vibrational level on at, at a certain thing of like totally. the idea of giving to in abundance and just like being able to share and give back and it'll come back to you. I, I believe that. Love that. So how, how should entrepreneurs, I guess, how do we, you know, you've, you've built a big, you've built big companies and now you're, you're down to, you've scaled down to your own kind of personal brand and business. And which I think really applies to the creative entrepreneurs in my audience. How do you, take the people over profit idea and apply it to a smaller scale. So uh, say for me, like I have two guys that work for me or a lot of people are just solo and, and you know, they're doing, they're creating and they're, they're working with clients and, and different things. How does that, this uh, philosophy apply to us? Yeah. So, I mean, one, one of my friends told me once, he says, you know, he said, I'm going to, once I start making money, I'm going to start giving more. And I said, you know, that's not true, right? <laughs> like it's, it's, it, you're, you're gonna, you think that's true. But I, like I, I said, you know, you should start giving now. And the same thing is true for the people over profit philosophy. I don't care if you have 10 employees or one employee. It, it, you go, you know, when I build my company, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow this philosophy, you know, or when I start, I'm gonna, like, no, just, just start now. Um, and you can start with yourself like these, these principles in this book, you can apply to your own life right now. Mm. And it's not like when I start my business, I'll do this. Or, you know, when I get that raise, I'll start thinking like this, like, no, just it's a thing now. So that's, that's what I say. I don't care if you have one employee or no employees, like the books for you still. And that was a, that was a very, I was very intentional about writing it that way. And it's, it was hard to say, Hey, this book's going to also apply to a CEO with 80,000 people <laughs> or the guy that's starting his first business on the first day. It's a big idea book. Yeah. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the philosophy. It's a big idea. It's like Malcolm Gladwell stuff, you know, like outliers, you know, it just makes anybody can read it and be like, dang, that was good. Yeah. So that's, that's, that was the goal behind the book to, to say, so if you're, if you're new, if you're new to entrepreneurship, if you're new to, you know, management, um, if you're just a new employee at a, at a company that you want to make better and like, start today. Mm. Yeah. Inspiration to, to think big and to live big. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the big thing is just to, to, you know, not wait, you know, this isn't rehearsal. Like you're not living rehearsal right now. Like if you want a better life, you, you got to start making change, like not next year, like now. And, and that's the, that's the big kicker I've been learning in life is that if you want to be this great entrepreneur, you want to be this great business person, like you just stop aspiring and just be, mm, just be, I like that just being is something I've been learning a lot, a lot the last couple of years because we spend so much time in the past and the present and the future or the past and the future. And we're not being in the present. And I think when we're working on being, that's where we're making the biggest difference. Um, but Dale, I just want to a acknowledge you for making the difference that you're making in the world. And I mean, I'm completely inspired by this book and the shift that you're creating with it and, and the minds of, of people in business. So thank you. 
Yeah, thanks, man. And and for your readers, I uh, I put together a little uh, kit. So you know, I, I don't give this away for free to anybody, but it's my ebook, People Matter, which is a really great ebook, and and uh, a private podcast with me talking about the books and you know three coaching video lessons. Um, if you buy the book at peopleoverprofit.com forward slash shop talk, you're going to be able to get that for free. And just, you know, thank you if you decide to, to, to support the book. Um, you know, it's a bigger mission that we're in and, and I just really appreciate that if, uh, if you decide to make that decision. Definitely. Thanks. Thank you for that as well. And one last question before we wrap up that I love to ask all my guests is what does live inspiration mean to you? Uh, I think that it, you know, we, we tell stories with our lives and I think we don't realize how many people are watching, you know, and, and I think that people, people are searching for depth and they're searching for meaning every day and there's very few answers today. I mean, that's the problem is there's actually, I'm not going to say that I'm going to switch that. I'm gonna say there's too many answers today and, uh, there's too many ways to go. And I think that people need to be inspired to, to go back to simplicity and to go, you know what, the things that really make people happy, we forgot. And, and they're those deep relationships with people that matter in our lives. And so, so yeah, talk about those things. Mm. You know, if you, if you ever get lost, dive back into like tradition of the last 10,000 years. Like that, that's the, be the inspiration of, of purity. Like the, you know, what the purest version of humans look like, just be that person. And, um, and get out of the complexity and go back to simplicity. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. And where can we find you on the interwebs, buy your book, follow you on social media, all that good stuff. You can buy the book anywhere books are sold. Um, you know, also peopleoverprofit.com if you want it from me. Um, and you can find me at Dale Partridge anywhere on the internet. Yeah. So I'd love to hear uh, some feedback from you guys. Amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, dude. It's, it was a blast, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for checking out today's episode of Shop Talk Radio with Dale Partridge. I'm your host, Nick Onkin. And if you enjoyed today's episode, you should go check out Dale's book, People Over Profit, linked up in the show notes, shoptalkradio.com slash EP44. Also, this podcast is brought to you by myself. I pay for it out of my own pocket and it's meant to bring value to you. So if you are getting value, it would help so much if you could go leave a review on iTunes, share it with your friends on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can tag me at Nick Onkin across those platforms. And with that, we will see you next time. 